Hey everyone, it's Grant here and I hope you're doing well. Wherever you are, whenever you're watching this, I really do hope it'll encourage you today. And I, I just thought we often don't pray at the beginning of these videos, but let me pray for you before we get into Philippians chapter 3 and carry on with our service. Now, Jesus, I just ask you to meet with whoever's watching this, wherever they are right now, that actually you would be present and real to them. And I pray, Lord, that you would take these ordinary words that I've prepared out of your extraordinary word, the Bible. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would speak through them, that you'd speak to the person watching this right now, that you'd encourage them, that you'd reveal yourself, that you'd speak specifically to them, and that they would know what to do in light of your word. Amen. If you know me or have been around Harbour City for a while, you'd know I'm not a runner. Um, I could probably tell you a bit about boxing, a little bit about water polo, a, a lot about skateboarding, maybe a bit about basketball, but I don't know running too well. I just don't love running. You know, to me, running is, you know, just a, a means to an end, you know, just a way of getting some exercise easily. Just get out on the road, listen to a podcast or a book, bang out some exercise and come home. So I'm not really a runner. But tonight's passage in Philippians 3 is all about running. So I did chat to a couple of friends of mine who are big runners uh, this week to prepare for this message, just to help me to understand what Paul is saying in this passage and how this applies to our lives. So I do want to share a few of their, pass uh, their stories with you today. But this idea of running and the Christian life being a race is something that we see throughout Paul's writings, throughout the New Testament, and even the Bible. Paul talks about this idea outside of Philippians 3 in 2 Timothy 4, Galatians 5, and 1 Corinthians 9. So this theme that the Christian life is a race and that Christians are running an endurance race is all over the Bible. So Here's the first story that I got from my friend Rob DuFord. He passes a church in Orlando, Florida called Orlando North Church. And he, um, I think he stood out to me because he has a number tattooed on his left calf. It's the number 26.2. And that number represents the marathon that he ran. It's the Space Coast Marathon in Cocoa Beach, Florida. And this was such a significant moment and event for him in his life that he wanted to tattoo this on his body to remember it always. This was a huge achievement and accomplishment for him. And he got this tattooed on his left calf because that leg had given him a lot of difficulty both as he trained and in the race. So this number on the back of his leg is a reminder to him of overcoming the obstacle of this race and finishing um, and enduring and persevering to the finish line. Now, um, Rob decided to run and to do this marathon, to lose a little bit of weight, um, to get a bit fit, and because he wanted a challenge. You know, he didn't just want to run, he wanted to overcome something like many people do. So he set himself the goal of running this marathon, and then he got down to the hard work of training and preparing to do it. And this meant a full year of training for him. Now, maybe for you, it would require more or less, but for Rob, he gave himself a year to train and get ready for this Space Coast Marathon. And uh, he needed to build towards being able to do this. So he started really easy. The first couple of weeks, it was just one and a half or two miles at a time, a couple of times a week. And then he ramped it up a little bit more. 
by the end of two months, he was running 20 miles a week. And then just before the race, just as he was ready to do this marathon, he was running five times a week, one short run, three longer runs, and then one very, very long run. We'd run for three or four hours at a time. And because of this, he needed to find time to do these races. If you don't know anything about Florida, it's a really, really hot place, even more humid and hot than Durban. So Rob would have to get up really early in the morning at half past three so that he could get ready, be on the road by four, and he could bang out three or four hours of running so that he would be ready for this race. So he had to change his lifestyle. He had to change uh, his week, his schedule, so much about his life if he wanted to do this. He also changed his diet. He cut out sugar and all soft drinks. He had to eat differently. He ate a lot more healthily uh, because of this. He had to buy new clothes, running clothes, running shoes, running socks. And he even needed to get nipple protectors because his nipples were bleeding because of the friction caused by his shirts and vests as he ran. And worst of all, he says he lost three or four toenails and had blood blisters underneath his nails from these runs. We had to take a sterile needle and heat it up and then push it through his toenail to pop this blister and squeeze the blood out. He said doing this was not for, you know, worsters or whatever. He needed to work hard to be ready for this race. We see from Rob's example, and probably many of you have done this yourself, but running a marathon is hard work. It takes discipline. It takes sacrifice. It takes determination if we want to actually achieve our goal and run the race and finish it. And that's exactly what uh, Paul is speaking about here. Last week, we spoke about Paul's goal of knowing Christ, and we saw something of this uh, invitation to run the race of following Jesus. But Paul has got in mind that we would finish that race. So he wants to teach us how to do that in the passage we're in today. So let's read from Philippians 3 verse 10. We're going to start where we ended last week and we'll go through to chapter 4 verse 1. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another I will experience the resurrection from the dead. I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I've already reached perfection, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God through Christ Jesus is calling us. Let all who are spiritually mature agree on these things. If you disagree on some point, I believe God will make it plain to you. But we must hold on to the progress we have already made. Dear brothers and sisters, pattern your lives after mine and learn from those who follow our example. For I have told you often before, and I say it again with tears in my eyes, that there are many whose conduct shows they are really enemies of the cross of Christ. They are headed for destruction. Their God is their appetite. They brag about shameful things and they think only about this life here on earth. But we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives and we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our savior. He will take our weak mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own using the same power with which he will bring everything under his control. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stay true to the Lord. I love you and long to see you, dear friends, for you are my joy and the crown I receive for my work. So now that we've read this, what is going on here? 
Well, last week, as we started Philippians 3, we, we saw that Paul was talking about the things that we live for and knowing Jesus. And he told us in verse 10 to 12 that we've read again today, that he has aimed his life like an arrow for the target of knowing Jesus. That is what he is going after. His goal is to know Jesus and enter into the life of Jesus and to become more like Jesus and receive the resurrection from the dead to be with God for all time through Jesus. And in verse 15, he tells us that everyone who is spiritual should have the same way of thinking. He's saying, listen, if you're a Christian, this is the way you should think. If you're a Christian, my goal should be your goal. We should be doing this together. This is what Christians live for and do. Now, what should encourage us here in this passage is that Paul the Apostle, who wrote a bunch of the New Testament, a bunch of the Bible, who is this role model and hero in the Scriptures, who is an amazing man of God, what should encourage us is that what we see here in this passage is that Paul is in this race with us. He's on the journey, or at least he was when he was still alive. He was running this race. He was going for the the prize. He hadn't achieved or attained all of this yet. He's a fellow traveler with us, writing to us as someone who hasn't arrived yet, but who's maybe a few paces ahead of us, helping us to run this race and to follow Jesus. But he hasn't arrived yet. He's showing us this is a lifelong process, which should encourage us towards the goal. You don't need to be perfect. You don't need to have it all together. You need, don't need to always get things right and do the right thing. It's okay to be a work in progress. But what Paul is saying here is that as long as you are moving forward towards the goal, then you are winning and following Jesus. Maybe just as an aside, uh, what, what I'm going to say to the people who we gather in person with tonight is that actually if you took a look around you or if you think of Christian friends or people that you know, Every single one of them is a work in process. Every single one of us is running this race. None of us have finished yet. None of us have hit the finish line. None of us are perfect. We're all in process. And that should encourage you, you know, whether you look at others and think, I'm so far behind. I wish I was there in the race. I wish I was like them. We're all in different parts of the journey, but we're all running the same race. And we should encourage one another and help each other to run this race together. Each of us needs to run our own race because that is what Jesus has taken hold of us for. That's what's going on here. So how do we run this race? Well, in verse 12, Paul writes, Not that I have already reached the goal or am already perfect, but I make every effort to take hold of it because I have already been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. And the commentators get really excited about this because the same Greek word is used three times there in two verses, in verse 12 and 13 talking about this idea of taking hold of you know we make every effort to take hold of this heavenly prize we haven't taken hold of it yet and thirdly we continue to try because this is the reason that Jesus has taken hold of you and me he's taken hold of us that we might finish the race and reach the goal and know him and enter into the new resurrected state in heaven transformed into our glorious bodies with God forever That's what Paul is saying his goal is here. But he's also saying this is Jesus' goal for his life and for all of us. So I love it here. It's Paul's will and God's will. Our will and God's will should be the same. We are taking hold of what God has taken hold of us for. We're running the race to the place God wants us to be. It's an amazing passage. But Paul is our fellow traveler in this race. He's a little bit further ahead, but he's also running and he's encouraging us to run the race, to to run with effort, to run hard, to run fast, to not just take a casual stroll towards the finish line. 
He's telling us that we can't be passive in living out our Christian lives. If you want to grow in Christ-likeness, then this requires a bit of discipline, a bit of effort, a little bit of energy. Now, we've talked about earning and effort before, and earning is like a Christian swear word, and we instantly hear it, we like tense up a little bit, and effort can be like that. Now, earning is not a Christian merit thing. You know, we, we believe Ephesians chapter 2, we are saved by grace, through faith, not by works so that no one can boast. Christianity is not about earning, it's about receiving. Everything we have from God is a gift of grace. It's not something we've discerned, uh, deserved or earned or worked for or gotten because of our goodness. But once we begin to follow Jesus, it does require effort on our part. In fact, we, we need to put effort into this. Just like anything else, if, if you want to grow in anything, if you want to learn anything, if you want to develop in any way, it requires effort and energy and involvement. We're not trying to earn God's love. We're, we're not trying to uh, earn or work hard enough to receive something from Him. But we're putting effort in in this race of Christ-likeness. So what should we be putting effort into? Paul tells us in verse 14 and 15, I focus on this one thing. Forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead, I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God through Christ Jesus is calling us. Don't you love those words there? I focus on this one thing. Paul is giving us a life hack for our faith here, a bit of a faith hack of how we can make sure we finish the race and do what God has called us to. Charles Duhigg would call this a keystone habit in his book, The Power of Habit. He calls keystone habits small changes or habits that people introduce into their routines that unintentionally carry over into other aspects of their lives. What Paul is speaking about here, you know, this one thing is a domino habit. It's, it's got a domino effect. Doing one thing knocks over into so many other parts of our lives. It's this knock-on effect where one thing that we do changes so many aspects of who we are and our faith. So what is this faith hack? Forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. So let's start with forgetting the past. Again, I'm not a good runner. But I'm told every runner knows you shouldn't be looking backwards when you're running forwards. If you do that, you could stumble, you could get distracted, you could run off the road, you could lose momentum, you could hurt yourself. A lot of different things could happen. So what is Paul telling us to forget as he writes about this? What are some of the things in our past that can hold us back? Well, this is different for every person. This could be mistakes or abuse or sin. These could be words that have been spoken over your life in the past. How many of us have been defined by moments or comments from people? That could be parents or teachers, leaders or mentors. It could be a pastor or a family member or a brother or sister or spouse or someone that we've been in a relationship with. Maybe they said something which has just stuck with you and defined you and hurt you. Words like you're unlovable, you're a failure, you're, you're a mistake, you're a mess, you're worthless, you're no good might not be people's words. It could be shameful things that we've done or have been done to us or failures, disappointments, dreams that have died in the past, things that hang around our lives and stop us from going forward, doing the things we should do, walking with God and living the life that we know he's called us to. So those are the bad things. But what about good things? Because Paul doesn't just say that we should forget about things in the past that were bad. He, He says we should not look backwards. We should be looking forward. What about successes or achievements or victories that actually have so defined our lives that we are stuck in the past, in the glory days, in the heydays of the past, when we did amazing things? 
And they've stopped us from moving forward. They've stopped us from trying new things because we don't want to fail. You know, we've had success in the past. What if we don't continue? You know, those people who just wear clothes from the 90s, listen to music from the 90s, have haircuts from the 90s, people that have stopped going forward and have set up camp in the past. Paul is saying, don't be like that. We need to stop looking back and continue to look forward to the prize. Paul's actually writing about anything in our pasts, good or bad, uh, that can distract us from Jesus and the finish line and what lies ahead, whether they're good or bad things. And Paul is reminding us here that in Jesus, we're no longer defined by our pasts. You know, we're no longer defined what we have or haven't done or, or what has or hasn't been done to us. It doesn't matter what has happened back then. We don't have to be defined or shaped by that. The past doesn't have to determine our future in Christ. You see, in Jesus, we're redefined. We are changed in him. We're given a new name and a new identity. We're washed clean from the past and given a fresh start. We're called sons and daughters of God. We're chosen. We are valuable. We are important in God's eyes. So what Paul is saying here, what Jesus says, is what the scriptures would say is, yes, repent of your sin, fight your sin, resist your idols. You know, yes, forgive those who've hurt you in the past and forgive yourself because God in Christ has forgiven you. Don't hold on to the victories and successes of the past. And don't be defined by the failures and mistakes of the past either. Don't stay in the past. Move forward. Don't look back. Look ahead. Jesus has a beautiful ahead, a future ahead of you. Jesus has a beautiful future for you. So don't be defined by your past. Be defined by Christ and what he's calling you to. This week, I heard another story from another pastor friend of mine, Tom, who ran the Comrades a couple of years ago now. Tom is a very fit guy. He's a very good-looking, muscular, strong man. He's actually sponsored for some of the athletic stuff that he does. And he says um, that when he ran the Comrades, because he was pretty fit, he actually didn't train as hard as he needed to. So he was aiming to finish the marathon in about 10 hours, and his mom happened to be running the race too. She wasn't as fit or as determined. She, she was aiming just to finish about 11 hours. 45 minutes that was her goal so Tom knew with his you know game plan what he was aiming to do that if he saw his mom he would be in trouble but coming down Fields Hill as he was running to the finish line he had an issue with his ITB and he was in intense pain and that actually meant that instead of going forward because the pain was so great he turned around and was hobbling backwards down Fields Hill to try and finish the race. So literally, in terms of Paul's words, Tom was running forwards, but turned backwards. He was looking backwards and continuing the race. So you can imagine how slowly he was going. And while he's hobbling backwards down Fields Hill, who should come past him but his mom, which means that he was in big trouble from a time point of view. And Tom was crying. He was in agony. He told her he wanted to quit. He couldn't do this. He was in too much pain. He couldn't continue. And like an amazing mother that she sounds like she is, she took him by the hand and she looked tenderly in his eyes in a way that only a mom can. And she said to him, we're finishing this beeping race. Now, she didn't use the word beeping, but I'm not going to use her word in this race. Tom said to me he'd never heard her swear before and he's never heard her swear since. But in that moment, she needed to jolt him out of his pain and apathy and she needed to get her boy going to finish this race. And they did it. They ran together for the rest of the race, hand in hand, all the way from Fields Hill to the finish line and finished at about 11 hours and 45 minutes. 
And I just want to say that is a picture of what Jesus wants to do with us in this passage. Maybe minus the swearing part. But what's happening here is Paul is saying to us, stop looking back. You are going the distance. You know, the past can trip you up, but it can't help you to finish. So whatever struggle or limp you've got now that is holding you back, Jesus wants to come alongside you and take you by the hand and run the rest of the race with you. You are not on your own by the power of the Spirit with the help of Jesus. You can finish the race, even if right now you're in a really difficult part. You can reach the goal. You can cross the finish line. Verse 14 says, I press on, even when my ITB blows out. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God through Christ Jesus is calling us. I love that although Paul's focus is on the heavenly prize, his running shoes are firmly planted on the ground in messy reality. Paul has his head in the clouds and his feet on the ground. Or maybe another way of saying it is he's heavenly minded, he's focused on heaven uh, and eternity and the future, but he's living in the present, in the now, in the realities of our world. And he's saying that we should imitate his example. C.S. Lewis actually has an amazing quote about this. He says, if you read history, you'll find that the Christians who did the most for the present world were just those who thought most of the next. It is since It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this. It's not that we need to stop looking backwards and fight being defined by the past. It's also, I'm going to just do a little rewind there. C.S. Lewis famously said this, if you read the history, you'll find that the Christians who did C.S. Lewis famously said, If you read history, you'll find that the Christians who did the most for the present world were those who thought most of the next. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this. So for us, it's not just that we need to stop looking backwards and stop being defined by the past and sins and mistakes and whatever's happened to us. But it's also that we need to look forward to what lies ahead and be focused on Jesus and eternity and our heavenly prize. This is Paul's life hack or faith hack for us, that we would live the life we're called to and that we would finish the race strong. So if you can put this in place in your life, you will finish the race of life. But the question is, where are you looking? Where are you running? Paul gives us one more race illustration. Now, again, I'm not a cyclist, but in cycling, a peloton, come, well, peloton comes from the French word platoon, but a peloton is a group of cyclists who ride together and they save energy by, you know, riding close behind each other, which is called drafting or slipstreaming. And the rider at the front is taking the full brunt of any wind resistance or anything that's coming at them. And the reduction in drag for those behind that front runner is significant. It can be up to 90 or 95%, which obviously saves them a lot of energy. So the front runner gets tired, but those behind them actually have more energy to race hard in the future. Now, this also happens in running. And in verse 17 to 19, it's like Paul is encouraging us to get in with a pack of believers and run behind others to help us to do this, to follow their example, to follow in their footsteps, but also to get out of resistance so that we can finish the race. So Paul says to the Philippians and I guess to us, you know, get behind me, run in my slipstream, follow me in my example, and I'll help you as you run to get to that finish line. And this is something that he's done throughout the letter. 
This has been a letter about examples. You know, he's held up Jesus. He's held up Timothy and Epaphroditus. He's held up himself. He wants us to learn from others and get behind them and run after them that we would finish this race. But he also warns us here that if we get behind the wrong people, if we join the wrong pellets and get in the wrong pack, then if we're drafting behind someone else who's running a different race to us, then we're going to head in a completely different direction. Verse 18 and 19 say this, I've told you often before, and I say it again with tears in my eyes, that there are many whose conduct shows they are really enemies of the cross of Christ. They are headed for destruction. Their God is their appetite. They brag about shameful things, and they only think about this life here on earth. Now, if you and I join in with this peloton, you know, we might again get rid of some of that resistance and store up energy and shave off time to get to the end of the race. And we might have beautiful scenery as we run along. And on top of that, we might really enjoy being part of this group and what's going on. But we're headed in the wrong direction. We're running in the wrong race. We're headed for the wrong finish line. And Paul says here that he writes about this to them often. I don't know if this is something that the Philippian church seemed to do or if this is just general to all Christians and all churches everywhere. But this is obviously a significant danger for churches and Christians. And it seems that he's not just warning them about anyone out there, but specifically about false teachers that he's mentioned already in verse 2 and the things that they are saying in the direction they lead people in. And for us, it's interesting in a digital world, you know, this might look different to us than it did to the Philippians 2000 years ago. But this encouragement and challenge is so, so relevant for us. You know, for us today, what Paul is saying could look like the influence of thousands of different books and podcasts and TED Talks and uh, Twitter feeds and influences and things that we can listen to and learn that are not helping us to head towards Christ and the heavenly prize that we have at the finish line, the goal that Paul has called us to run towards. But instead, these influences, these false teachers could be leading us towards other prizes, other goals, other races, other finish lines. And as a pastor, I want to warn you, Harbor City, that not everything done in the name of Christ is Christian. Not every pastor, every Christian podcast, every Christian song, every Christian book, every Christian church is a place that is going to help us to get towards that finish line. Not every Christian teaching has got good doctrine. Not everything said by a Christian is true. And then on top of that, there are many philosophies and ideologies out there that could be very attractive and popular. They could sound good. They could be very inspiring and even exciting. But it doesn't mean that they line up with the truth of the Bible. And that doesn't mean they're going to lead us in the right direction. Which means that we need to know what the scriptures say. We need to read and study and memorize and absorb this book get the scriptures inside of us so that we know what is true and we know what helps us to go where God has called us to go. In Acts 17 verse 11, there's a verse that has just struck me about the people that I would love us to become. It says, the people here in Berea were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica since they received the word with eagerness and examined the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. When Paul's talking about Christian examples, the Thessalonica church in Thessalonica uh, had been planted quickly and easily. It had grown. There were leaders. It was established. But when he goes to Berea, what happens is he sees the hunger these people have for God. That actually as he teaches, they hang on his every word because they want to know God more, know more about him. But then after he's finished teaching, they go back and they study what the scriptures say on their own. And they see if what Paul has said lines up with the truth of the Bible. 
And he says, these are noble believers. This is a healthy way to be. And I want to encourage us. We need to know our Bibles. We, we need to get it inside of us. We need to eat this book. We need to know its truth. And then as we listen to podcasts and read books and watch TV and are inspired by amazing talks and presentations, there's just so much good content on the internet these days, that as we engage with that, we have our Bibles open metaphorically, that actually we're comparing what we're hearing with what the truth of the Word of God says, so that what we believe and the direction we're heading in and what we do with our lives lines up with God's Word rather than other interesting, entertaining thoughts and ways. Paul says of them, their end is destruction, their God is their stomach, their glory is in their shame, and they're focused on earthly things. And this is really strong. Uh, I wrestled with how to share this with you today. But this makes sense. You know, if we have been called to run the race of Jesus, to stop looking back and to look forward to the prize of heaven with him for all of eternity. But these teachers are running a very different race, headed in a different direction. It says here, you know, in light of their conduct, they're clearly enemies of the cross and Jesus and his gospel and his way. And they've got their eyes set on a very different prizes. And Paul is warning us that if we are influenced by them and follow after them and run the race they've got, then we're being influenced by those who are headed towards eternal judgment and destruction and hell and an eternity away from God and away from Jesus. They are not good guides for us. He says, I guess, of them, but this is also how we can know who these people are, that their God is their stomach. What he means by this is they are serving and worshiping and living for and following their own desires or lusts. You know, whatever they desire, whatever they want, whatever pleasure is to them, they're going after that. And in doing that, they've made themselves, their stomachs, their desires, gods, that they are serving with the worship of self-satisfaction. Secondly, he says their glory is in their shame. And those words just don't go together. They're like oil and water. But he's saying these false teachers brag about and talk about and joke about things which they should be ashamed of. You know, they enjoy and celebrate things that offend God and so different to the ways of God. And Paul is saying, don't follow the example of those who glory in sexual sin and greed and disrespect and crudeness and laziness. Don't follow their example. And thirdly, they're focused on earthly things. You know, we're called to a heavenly prize, but these people are focused on the prizes of this earth, the things that this earth holds up as treasures and valuable. You know, they aren't captured by Christ and the cross and the resurrection. They don't love God's word or prayer or his spirit or his church or his people. They aren't focused on that. You know, they find the things of the world much more interesting than the things of God. But for us in verse 20, it says, Our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly wait. We we can't wait for our Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul is reminding us and them again here what he's been saying the whole way through this letter. That these Philippian Christians are living in Philippi, a colony of Rome, but they are also citizens of heaven. You know, it's in Christ, in Philippi. That's how it works. They are in Christ, but they're in Philippi. They're citizens of heaven in Philippi. They have a dual citizenship. And he's trying to remind them that they don't live under the rule of Caesar. They ultimately live under the rule of Christ. And they're called to a different way. 
We've said this a number of times in the series, but he's reminding them that they serve a different king, Jesus. They're part of a different kingdom, the kingdom of God, and their hope and trust and salvation is found in a different source, the gospel of Jesus, the good news of salvation in him. And because of this, we must live differently as God's people. And he ends in verse 1. Now, this is strange that we break into our final verse at the beginning of chapter 4. But actually, the Bible is originally written without these page breaks and chapters and verse numbers and everything. Those were added later on. And here we see this is the continuation and completion of that thought. He starts saying, therefore, and I know this is a cheesy thing to say, but it's helped me over the years. Whenever there's a therefore in the Bible, we have to look back and see what it's there for. Because this is saying, in light of everything Paul said before about knowing Christ and about running this race and about distractions and all of that, he says, therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stay true. True to the Lord or stand firm in the Lord. I love you and long to see you, dear friends, for you are my joy and the crown I receive for my work. This week I went to a pastor's retreat for a few days and I was with 10 pastors from around the country. Um, and this was organized by my friend James Lennox, who preached in the church a few months ago. And he gathered these guys, uh, really asking Rory Dyer, an older pastor in his 50s. He's been in ministry for over 25 years, led a couple of churches. He's seen a lot. He's very wise. He's full of the scriptures and wisdom. And he's a man of prayer and full of the spirit and just a man who knows God and has walked with God. And he asked Rory, this father in the faith, to come and encourage us and mentor us and teach us as we wrapped up 2020. And the ministry was profound. It really did feel like what it must have been like to sit with Paul or one of the apostles, just someone who has walked with God and has much in them, and just to be encouraged and mentored and invested into. On day one, session one, he opened up the Bible to Colossians chapter one, and he read verse one, you know, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. And we didn't get past word one, Paul, comma. That's where we started and that's where we finished that two-hour session. And he just spoke to the 10 of us about identity. You know, Psalm 139, the fact that we are fearfully and wonderfully made, that God has designed us in a specific way with the DNA and wiring and uniqueness that we have for his purposes. Spoke about how we're doing and what we're called to and our identity in Christ and all of those things. And he opened us up within five minutes. I think this bunch of strong men, uh, I'll include myself in that, were weeping around the table together as we spoke about the scriptures and the call of God on our lives. And this older father in the faith, Rory, prayed for us. He fed us from the word. He encouraged us. He spoke life over us. He called out the purposes of God from our lives. He fanned into flame the call of God inside of us. He did everything he could to put courage in us that as we leave after a really hard 2020, I'm sure you feel the same. Actually, we would be able to continue to run the race and stay true to the Lord, to stand firm. It was like he was trying to put like a steel beam in our backs that we could stand up straight, even though this year has done everything it can to trying to hunch us all over. I think 2020 has had so many reasons, probably for all of us, that we would throw in the towel and stop running. We would look back, that we would stop running, we would look for an easier race, that we would give up, that we would do something else. And Paul is gently encouraging us as a father here. He's saying, keep running, stay true to the Lord, take hold of what Jesus has taken hold of you for. Don't give up, stand firm, make the hard calls and the big decisions you need to make about following Jesus. Follow the right teaching and you will know Jesus 
and receive the heavenly prize on that day. I think today's message is a bit like that moment with Tom's mom, finding him, finishing the race, but walking backwards, focused behind and taking him by the hand and caring for him and looking him in the eyes and saying, let's finish this beeping race. I think for us today, Harbour City, I think Jesus wants to take our hands. I think he wants to look us in the eyes. I, I, again, he might word it a little bit differently, but I think he wants to encourage us and jolt us and take us by the hand and lead us to the finish line. So Harbour City, I want to say to us at the end of this message, stay true to the Lord. Stay true to what he has called you to and what he has called us to. And stay true to the race that you are called to run. Let me pray for us. Holy Spirit, we need you to finish this race. Jesus, help us to not look back, but to keep looking ahead to the high call of the heavenly prize that is ours in in you. We need you, Jesus. And I pray, Lord God, that you would open our eyes to see what race we're running, who we're following and where we're going. And if we need to change direction, if we're not following you, if we're not in the race you've called us to, I pray show us that and help us to follow you with endurance. Give us the grace and power and strength and joy we need to finish. And I pray we would finish. And Lord, we ask that we would know you more and that you would give us everything we need to finish this race. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.